Yeah, I asked the guys too if they wanted to come on the podcast, and they said they would. There are some schedule conflicts. They're a bunch of chickens. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Bunch of chickens. They're like we already have to deal with one artist most of the time. Exactly. No, my gosh, I can't even tell you. Hey guys, this week's episode is a conversation I had with Neil DeGrade from the band Dirt Poor Robbins. Before we get into that, don't forget to subscribe to Basically Related Podcast and leave a five-star review. You can find us on YouTube as well and subscribe there. Remember to hit that notification bell so you know when we drop new content. Also, you can sign up for the monthly AMA episodes at basicallyrelated.com and ask a question at basicallyrelated.com forward slash AMA. Uh, we answer all your questions in a monthly episode delivered to members only. All right, Neil, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Um, can you introduce yourself and uh, yes. tell us what you do? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, my career is not that much uh, dissimilar. Uh, is that or even a phrase? Uh, it's not that different from yours in the sense that we both work on music. And that's where I got my start. I started working on music uh, for myself and other people. Uh, eventually I get to the point where I got a record deal and pretty much since then I've been mostly full-time. I do do work for people off and on. I've done work recently for the culpable podcast. It's a popular, um, true crime podcast. I did the theme song for that. And I've done some things like that, but no, pretty much for the last, my main gig outside of all the other projects I've produced has been my own band, Dirt Poor Robins. And that is a collaboration between myself and my wife. Some other people have jumped in and out of the band over the years, but pretty much uh, as we exist now, I am the music guy and she is the female vocalist. And we work on stories and concept records together. We uh, grew up listening to concept records like Pink Floyd and Beatles, Sgt. Peppers and OK Computer by Radiohead. Mm -hmm. And those were a huge inspiration for us. So it, it always felt like a fun challenge and a fun adventure to go on to nest a record within a story. Um, it's a little added framework, but it also helped us escape this normal, like kind of popular music trope of just trying to re- write relatable relationship music. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can talk about, it's a way we can talk about bigger, deeper things, um, point out patterns that may be good or bad in the culture. Uh, not that we necessarily set out to do that when we write the story. Well, uh, this, I think the stories do happen to come out of, um, something that might be troubling us in the culture or something we're wrestling through individual as, or on a personal level. And the story will kind of come out as like a, a, you know, a ruminated answer to that. And then we right. write records, we make this artwork. And uh, now we've gotten into making films to go with our records. Mm-hmm. So that's been a massive, massive jump in time and energy and expense. But we were yeah. ready to do it. We had the, enough money coming in. We had enough streams coming in now. And uh, so it was able to fund uh, the film. And hopefully this can keep growing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the the uh, the film for those listening is the uh, the Queen of the Night, and um, what that premiered uh, November fifteenth. Yeah, so Queen of the Night, um, we released it episodically. So we mm-hmm. our, our fans really kind of constantly give us a hard time about when's the next thing, when's the next thing, when's the next thing. That's probably one of the most common things I hear. Also, they want to know why we're not more popular. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, that's, a, that's because we don't yeah. market. It's on you guys. Right. To <laughs> exactly. Promote us. So, um, but uh, yeah, so anyway, the, the, the film became a thing we were going to do uh, this time around. It was, a, it was a big expense and people have put pressure on us to release music and films take a long time. So we had to release it episodically. So we're like, Hey, you know what? Uh, I work. I was working with one other guy. His name was Pete Mitchell. He used to work for Jim Henson. He was helping me with some of the visual effects. 
And we just decided, hey, we're going to take this in 11 minute chunks. It just so happens that the screenplay like kind of comes to cool cliffhangers every 11 minutes. So mm-hmm. we're going to cut this into episodes. We're going to release the music over time. And then eventually we're going to go back through, polish the whole thing off, get it up to our standards. And I'll release the whole record with some bonus tracks to kind of deal more with yeah. the backstory and the lore. So we did it that way. And it came out November 15th. And it had just come off a the largest uh, or. Eastern Orthodox Film Festival in the world called uh, Bazan Fest. Or if you talk to the people that put it on, they call it Bison Fest because they're Mm. from Australia. So it had a small theatrical run in Australia. And now we're free, contractually free to uh, put the film out ourselves. So we decided it would be a good thing to do is put it up on our YouTube channel, see if we can use it to grow our YouTube channel and to see if we can, uh, you know, while we try to negotiate some sort of streaming deal, if we're going to partner with the streaming service. Yeah, that's awesome. What, um, what was the inspiration behind the film and the album? Okay, so I don't know, man. We're our stuff varies. So if you listen to our previous record, Dead Horse, it's definitely mm-hmm. more modern. It's got some throwback seventies and eighties elements to it, but overall, it's it's a more modern project. This one's a lot more vaudevillian. Um, that's what aspect of what we've done. Some of our most popular songs kind of have this ragtime kind of folksy rock thing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, other songs of ours that are just straight up progressive rock. Um, that's Uh, have been popular but this record was real big dive back into like the 1920s so uh part of the inspiration was uh for this is i stumbled across a a few silent films i thought were just brilliant for the era when they were made one was called metropolis another one was called the the cabin of dr caligari and there were these great um expressionistic um films that were done in the 1920s i really love that period of art i love that that transitionary period from art nouveau to art deco i thought there was some really great stuff happening in the world um artistically and even just some of the poster art from that time so i was inspired by these things i'm inspired by other artists uh painters like maxfield Parrish, who was very popular um one of the most popular painters from that era and i wanted to bring a film to life visually like that so i also felt like there was a lot of overlap between the 1920s and our current problems now uh mm-hmm. there was this big boom in technology and, and you know this the growing metropolis and what was happening with cities and transportation and there was a boom going on everywhere and at the same time there was uh the mass production of alcohol began to began to be a problem because people mm-hmm. weren't ready for that and what to do with um you know, that problem. Also, there was this kind of despiriting happening in the sense that, uh, you know, people were moving away from being a more religious culture and in, in more sensuality. And so I think that we see a lot of that, th- these type of things going on now. So I felt like that was a really cool era. Also, I wasn't a filmmaker prior to this. I've worked on films. I've done aspects on films, but I didn't know. I didn't know if we could pull it off. Like, I kind of yeah. hope we could. I, I feel like, you know, when you're watching films and you're like, yeah, I could have done uh-huh. that or something like that you know you have those inclinations and you and you articulate it out loud and other people agree with you and you're like okay maybe i can do this and i've been a visual artist for a long time as well so it all kind of came together so by using a silent film uh it was the right time period to tell the story i had thought of it was also um it was also a cheaper way for me to get into film because uh mm. the earliest silent films there's not a lot of camera movement um, you know, the sets are generally two dimensional painted sets and things like that. And they're quite beautiful if they're done right. Um, so I thought that that was a great way for me to get into it uh, because it was going to be a lot easier for me to manage these things. I didn't have to record audio on set. I didn't have yeah. to. Do, it was a lot less complicated camera wise. Um, and on top of that, I think uh, one of the things that was helpful for me um, 
gee, I don't know how to say this. Um, anyway, as someone who didn't make films before, I think this was probably my best chance. And I think that silent films in general, like the a modern person thinks of a silent film, they they kind of get this idea that they're going to be bored a little bit, or it might be cute for a minute. Right. Um, and so I didn't want to have that happen either. So mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I learned about when I was getting into silent films and the silent film era, I've been on a, this been a decade-long journey up to this point, uh, was that they used to do these premieres with live orchestras and do all the sounds live. And it was quite a thing to go and hear the music and to see the film and it wasn't anything like watching it at home where someone put midi piano on it after right. the fact just imported a classical score mm -hmm. so uh, i really wanted to uh use that as a chance to like you know make the music an experience to listen to and mm -hmm. and make it appeal make take this genre and make it um have some appeal to a modern audience yeah yeah that's awesome i love how like the fact that the the uh the silent film was a medium that you could exploit and it had like a lot of pros and cons or like a lot of pros yeah. in that. Like, it was like, this is cheap and I can do this. And like, you know, you mm -hmm. don't have to, you don't have to dumb down a specific genre of film in order to have it be your first one. It's like, I'm going to use what I have at my disposal. And it happened to be like, I can make a silent film look amazing uh, because these are how silent films are made. Right, exactly. I didn't have to cut corners. So yeah. but that's one of the things that you learn that as you're doing music along the way is you don't always have all the gear you, you mm -hmm. know, you might now, uh, like yeah. I do, I have all the gear I want. And so you have to, you have to come up with an idea that won't expose what you don't have at your disposal. Yeah. You know, as well, yeah. it's like, oh, we yeah. don't have a huge budget for VFX and, right. you know, 3D stuff. I mean, there are some 3D elements in the film, but we try to hide them as 2D. Yeah. And uh, so you, you just... You basically you, you can't go out when you're done and present it to an audience and then have to apologize to them for not having for enough sure. money yep. or whatever. So it's like I'm not mm -hmm. going to be sitting there with them as they see it. So they're going to see it as, no, this was someone's best shot. There were no excuses. Yep. They had everything at their disposal. So we we really had to come up with a way to do that where it's like, OK, this is going to exist into the future. I don't want to have to apologize for anything. So mm -hmm. this this will definitely give me. A window in i can fully realize a silent film and the silent film allows yeah. us to put music right over it without stomping all over dialogue so it yeah. kind of went with our concept record idea so yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it was a win-win in that sense and the story fit it it wasn't like i had to force that story into that time mm -hmm. period the story was made for that time period it's a, yeah. a dark metropolitan fairy tale from the 1920s so on a um on a creative like note um i feel like now that i've i'm able to afford like any plugin I want producing mm -hmm. music, any yep. uh, essentially any sound because, you know, of all the um, the the, the um, players that you can get um, on the computer. I feel like there's like an, a sense that it's unlimited. Yeah. And I and then there's also a sense in that it feels like it binds me because then I'm I'm frozen. And it's like, what do I use? for this sound because there are infinite possibilities. So I don't know if like, if that's something that you've encountered and how you kind of solve that as a creative person, it's like you have access to everything. Why pick this specific sound versus any other specific sound? Or do you try to limit that? Yeah. I mean, well, gee, we could talk about this the rest of the podcast. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you do this at every aspect of the creation process. So when you start to write a song, so there's a song, I think the most popular song in this film was called Enchante so far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, this part streams and download. And so it's got a little bit of a ragtime feel. It it kind of takes some notes from uh, you know, even electro swing, even though nothing's electro like electro swing would be. It's not this like cut up version of the past. All the ragtime riffs and everything I wrote originally. But there's like an 
it it doesn't come it's not like an ethnicity in the sense that it comes from a specific country necessarily the sound but they're like i even think of every song as having their own ethnicity uh not again not as a nationality kind mm-hmm. of thing but there are certain rules to make an ethnic sound like you the, yeah. here are the type of intervals i don't use here are the intervals i will use here's how much repetition I, i'll use here's mm-hmm. like you know the type of ranges here's the type of energy type of tempos so i come up with uh generally a lot of that's felt out but every once in a while when i when i spread outside of it i realize what i'm doing it's like oh i've just introduced something on a plate that doesn't belong there. It's like you're, you're having a Chinese meal and someone put spaghetti marinara on there and a meatball. Right. It's like it just, uh, whoa, it didn't fit. So mm-hmm. you're doing that at like every point of the process. I knew mm-hmm. it was going to be, I knew it was going to be like a, you know, a small rhythm section with a small orchestra. And so I, I kind of decided from the very beginning that, uh, the exact players I would have at my disposal, the exact instruments I would have at my disposal before I started, like as if it was going to be a touring show. Um, So that helped. The other thing that happens too, when you get into like, well, so when you're talking about like using plugins or samples, um, not uh, those, they can't do everything. They, and you Mm -hmm. do have to change your composition if you want it to sound realistic at times. Right. Um, because, you know, and, and then there's other ways to get around some of the problems. So for example, this is something people should understand at home. If you ever go see an orchestra, uh, there's a certain number of violins in that orchestra. And when you play a sample of the violins in that orchestra, let's say there's, you know, supposed to be 20 violins in that orchestra or less. If, when you play one note on your sample, that's 20 violins playing it. Now, if I want to have harmony within that section, I have a problem now, right? So now I have 40 right. violins and you mm-hmm. it starts to get weirder the more you add chords. And people do this. Yep. I hear this all the time in compositions. I'm like literally hearing 120 violins playing. Yeah, yeah. And yep. that could be cool, but it's generally not. And right. that generally gives you the indication that this was not real people in a real space. Yep. So with any of the orchestral stuff that I didn't play with real instruments, um, I went and recorded those one instrument at mm. a time and, and placed wow. them at a different depth in the room and and mm-hmm. gave some uh, variations to the performance. So uh, I think at points, um, at my point, like I would stop if anything didn't sound like it didn't fool me. And I listened to a lot of classical music. If, if mm-hmm. I wasn't fooled, I would go back and, and change something. So, right. um, yeah, because that's I didn't want it again. I, I wanted people to fully have this this vision of these uh, this classical orchestra playing this score. Um, and so that's yeah, one of the things I worry about with with techniques and stuff like that. So because we have such specific flavors to our project. And because this takes place in the 1920s, I knew I didn't want to do like a mono 1920s, one microphone recording sound. I think that's fatiguing to a modern audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was something people would would make do with back in the past. But as we got into stereo court recording and as recording right. techniques got better, I think that sometimes we've lost a little of the cohesiveness that they used to have in the past. But at the same time, I think it could be a lot less fatiguing. Uh, yeah. for the listener uh, and it's easier for them to pick out parts and things like that so all those kind of things go into my decision making there's a lot more to it and at this point I don't you're probably like me Matt I just don't really think that much when I'm working mm-hmm. on music it's kind of like I hear a sound and you've yeah. already got all the subroutines down about how to get there mm-hmm. I don't think until I and something goes wrong you know I really yeah. don't have to think until something goes wrong anymore yeah 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 I um I I feel like I'm still lear- in that learning process of these subroutines like you were talking about um in that I come I'm a little bit more of like mathematically minded so I do overthink things um except when it comes to music there's a little bit more ebb and flow that I like a process that I can get into but I've been it's been harder for me to articulate the specifics of how I get into a flow and then start to just pull sounds together um only in the last couple of years I've been really able to figure out like what do I do before I write music mm. that gets me into this mental state? 
Yeah. Um, like thinking uh, along those lines so that I don't have to like artificially uh, kind of like put things together and force this kind of sound to come out where I'm like, no, let me get into a into a place where I'm doing this more organically and more intuitively. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a process. It's it's really fascinating to just kind of step back and see in my own life of um, like, you know, what we're talking about with technology, about how it, there, there's almost like a false notion that the more options give you more freedom. Yeah. And I feel like that's a technological problem, like the yes. problem of technology in general. Yeah. Um, and so like even something uh, that seems a little unrelated, uh, something like having kids, being married and having kids, I felt like was going to be a detriment to my music career and being like, well, it's going to tie me down. It's not going to give me opportunities for X, Y, and Z. It's like, but in fact, it, I feel like it's opened my my mind and my worldview to to be more creative musically and has given me more opportunities when I've tied myself down to something. And so in the same way that like samples and like the unlimited possibilities of, of like instruments are causing this kind of lock, I feel like focusing on like, I'm only going to write with a ukulele today. Mm -hmm. Like that gives me more options in the creative space. I don't I don't know if like you feel the same. Well, listen, if I was hosting a podcast, I wish I had you on as my guest right now because you're, you're articulating <laughs> something. I don't think enough people uh, I think there's this false dilemma people have when it comes to um, commitments in life and committing to yeah. a thing and not another. Because, yeah. you know, that's the, to get married. You have to commit to one girl and throw out mm -hmm. all the other possibilities. You're like, yep. oh, gee, that sounds like a big give, you know, like it yeah, sounds yeah. like a big give. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, there's some things you'll never build. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, yeah. there's this type yeah. of intimacy and this type of closeness and this mm -hmm. trust and uh, this uh, even a friendship um, and a romance yeah. and like these things you can't build unless you pick a lane. And yeah. so uh, when you're talking about these things and kids are the same thing, it's like, you know, it's one of the things I, I, I make this joke a lot, but it's everybody knows it. Even kids know this. Like you ask someone like, who do you think's happier and who do you think's wiser? Selfish people or unselfish people? Yeah, it's like unselfish people, of course. Yeah. Are they're even mm -hmm. not even are they wiser? But they're yeah. happier now, mm -hmm. um, and they're spending less time dictating what they're going to do and what experience is going to be in front of them to learn. And uh, so the thing is about having kids is that it will force you into being less selfish. You, you, mm -hmm. your wife don't wake up on Saturday and be like, "Hey, what do I feel like doing right now?" You wake up and you're like, yeah. "We got to keep this kid alive," yeah. and you learn. It's like it's a recapitulation of your own life. You learn why things exist and what they mean. I think, uh, I mean, even, even in the depth of like making children. So one of the things I'll talk about sometimes is I, um, I don't, I don't have this uh, modern view of, of the world. I don't look out the window and, and see mechanical causalities mm -hmm. and science. Like those things are all there, but that's, yeah. that's the least interesting layer to me. Those are, those things mm -hmm. are fixed. Those things are not dynamics, the dynamic narrative part of life. And so when I look out the window, like I have faith and I believe that God put everything there to communicate some, something to us. And so all these things you're talking about, like having kids, uh, having a loving relationship with your wife, even the act of making kids. Like mm -hmm. I, I believe that really everything we see is mediating something unseen about God, everything good. And so, like, if you think about the act of making a kid, what you realize is happening, and it, it, here's how it adds depth to your music, is, is that, yeah, there's this wonderful ecstatic experience of making a child, like the actual act, but you realize, well, if you if you have this presupposition that God made it that way to show you something, it's like, whoa, my gosh, God is so excited about us, like, Look yeah. at what it goes into, what, how we see it mediated on our level, because mm -hmm. as a Christian, you believe that God really brings people into being. 
and the something yeah. he ordains. And you realize that, but he's trying to reveal something about his love and care and excitement mm -hmm. uh, for you in those things. So when you have kids and you start to, you start to experience all these things that you, you know, you can learn, you can gain all types of wisdom. You don't have to have kids to, to do this, but this is just my path and probably your path too, is that you like all the things I was talking about and writing about before, and there's so much more at stake. And, yeah. the, and really, if you, if you parent the right way and you take on these commitments and even things that are hard the right way, um, it's going to keep you from losing that sense of awe and adventure you had as a kid when you would be at grandma's house and you're trying to find mm -hmm. out what was in this door under the stairs. Like, you know, there could be something, it could be Narnia behind there. Yeah. Uh, that is more real for me than it was when I was a kid now because of these experiences. So mm -hmm. the idea that this, it can, it can totally dry people out. It can totally make people live safe and predictable lives and be incredibly, um, oh, insipid to talk to just like, yeah. you know, you can just see there's no, but it, it but that's not the way it ought to be. And in fact, it all these things provide way more opportunity to the artist to experience the blood, sweat, tear and tears and sap of the real world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's been my experience. Just it's it's opened up so much more of a um, a world to me that I wouldn't I would only have been able to conceptualize at a glance. If you know yeah. you read books, obviously, you know, reading uh, literature and, and things like that is it's extremely mind opening and even listening to music with these stories that are embedded. Um, but there's nothing like then doing it, like yeah. then embodying that and then experiencing that in a new type of experience. And like what that gives to your mind is is like irreplaceable. Yeah, I agree. And this is why also we don't shy away from dark subjects. Like if there's something's going to be dark or, uh, you know, uh, it's we're going to dig into that. We're going to, you know. Yeah. Uh, twist the screws a little tighter um, to make sure we feel it. Because I think that's one of the things that, again, people who want to avoid the things like we've been talking about because they don't want it to interfere with their schedule. Um, it's the same. It's the same problem as avoiding death in general. The fact that you will die, you're going to deal with suffering. You're going to get older. It's not going to feel great. Yeah. And there's a way to lean into these things uh, in faith. There's a way to lean into these things in faith where it's like, mm -hmm. Man, you're just you get less scared, you get less distracted, you get less worried about things. I'm not worried about, you know, getting sick. I'm not worried about what's going to happen. Um, and but at the same time, like be, by looking at death, like, you know, uh, by staring at this bronze serpent that Moses lifts, mm -hmm. this thing that ever, is killing everyone, yeah. these snakes. There's uh, there's something about that where you're never going to know love unless you can conquer the the fear of these things. So, yeah. Um, and beauty and beauty and like beauty is like it's tied to this like there's no way to get around it because you know the natural world um sometimes can show us beauty but also beauty certain types of beauty can be at a distance from us and as artists we're trying to raise the ground to meet the heavens for people and we're trying to show them like or make this world uh like have greater dimensions uh for the people experiencing this and this is what beautiful architecture does this is why you go to europe and you tour cathedrals this is what it's like to go to yosemite these are points yep. in the world where the where the earth raises to meet the heavens and we're suddenly close to something we're normally far farther away from so one of the things that holds people back from seeing that beauty and experiencing more beauty is they they have not learned to deal with like their own suffering the idea right. of death like the, the fear of those things cause you to not step into the space where like beauty starts to become transcendent uh, yeah. So I think, yeah. you know, I think that's that's the other spot spot of of making art and or an artist's job to do is to take this world that people turn flat, you know, mm -hmm. in three dimensional again or like where they just yeah. see red and blue to make it ultraviolet again to show them that mm -hmm. there's, there's light they can't see. 
Yeah, for sure. I I was thinking as you were saying that about how, you know, there are people who uh, who have kids and then become more cynical or go up to the top of Yosemite and is like, all right, whatever. Mm. So talk a little bit about why why that is culturally and how we can get back to being able to see uh, like kind of the enchanted world around us. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, how many hours do we have? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you get good questions here, man. One. Uh, all right. So great. So, um, well, I mean, there's a lot of ways to talk about this. So I think it's very hard for people to be cynical of like real sublime beauty. I think it's mm. I, I think people might, you know, like, let's say you're addicted to video games like you're like I, I knew this guy. God bless him. I won't say his name and he won't even listen to this. So it'll be fine. <laughs> but he he was addicted to World of Warcraft mm. and I I got him the best job going on tour with the band. And he was so concerned that they weren't going to have Wi-Fi on the bus that he couldn't go on tour. It was like, and like, so I can see a guy like that being that entrenched in Mm -hmm. something, going to Yosemite and being like, I'd much rather be playing World of Warcraft. This is great. But uh, at the same time, so like I get up early and I I live pretty close to the beach and I'll drive along the beach to to grab a coffee. And when the sunrise is going off, there's everyone's pulled over and looking at it here. It's always beautiful. Mm -hmm. I don't know what these people believe. Some of them might be the most nihilistic, atheistic person, mm-hmm. but they can embody it in that moment. They're they're taken yeah. back by this beauty. Now, we might go argue about truth or facts and see nothing, mm-hmm. um, but there is something about beauty, I think, that it can pierce that sort of darkness or or at least flank the person. You know what yep. I mean? So they have their defenses set up in a certain direction, and they can get surprised by joy or beauty. So yep. um, I think that's important. I think... I think really part of the modern problem, it's there's all kinds of problems in the West. Um, I mean, uh, as far as when it comes to embodying things, I think we're very Gnostic. We just think that mm. understanding the right definitions of things is where it's at. And we we have a massive problem in the sense that really when our, our, when our like I'm not debunking, I'm not going to debunk evolution. Like I don't, I don't have any problem with evolution in general, like what they've pulled out of the ground what they're talking yeah. about i don't i have a problem when it becomes teleological in their storytelling so meaning that they have to take what they find and then step out of this world of that's more static which has to deal with physical realities it's more static more measurable more consistent you know for, if i'm going to have a you know if i'm going to dunk a basketball i've got to answer gravity with my body weight so i've got to apply enough force to get myself off the ground and it's the same equation every time like yeah. here's the minimal amount of force I need to get my arm above the basketball. They're talking about that. Now, once they get into the narrative world, narrative world, like someone who deals in narrative, it's got a different set of rules. It's a lot yeah. more valuable, but it, it still has to meet back at the bottom. So the problem right. I have with um, part of the modern acceptance and even what kids are taught in school, I think it's incredibly cruel. I think it's like the presupposition I mentioned before about like the idea that you look out the window and you realize that these things are communicating something about the unseen world and what is to come, even about your own meeting. Like it, when, yep. you know, again, like I used that lovemaking analogy earlier, mm-hmm. but uh, that's a presentation of God's love for us. And that you realize yes. that's what brought you into the world. And so there's this mm-hmm. meaning that starts to stack up and there's this peace that starts to stack up in your life when you, when you have the right um, container to collect the right information and all the narrative. Right. So the the scientific modern idea that things only emerge, like everything we see, consciousness, beauty, love, mm-hmm. all of these things, any social pattern you like, anything you enjoy that might feel like a transcendent really isn't. And that you're mm-hmm. random occurrence and that uh, these things are like tricks played on us to get us to procreate and such. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's that's disenchantment. 
that's yeah. like you want to know what disenchantment is that's it right there so like well well this has been beaten over our heads for a long time even christians who, who would hold a presupposition like i would um now christians aren't getting hit as hard with these things anymore because a lot of people have come out who know how to speak into that world and then speak above it too mm-hmm. so you even have people coming out of that scientific community being like this is not enough like we're only right. talking about one aspect of the universe and it can't answer yeah. all but the idea that we come back and it's like, hey, yeah, like these social patterns, this love, community, these type of things. No, I'm sorry. That was like just a more stable way to get you to make babies and keep existing, yeah. <laughs> existing, right. existing. And it's like, yeah, and, it's like crazy. and like, again, I, t- I, I say this a lot of different ways, but like you can't you can't go around telling people that like you can't. Mm-hmm. But you're going to get a nihilistic result. You're going to get depressed people. You're going to get people who can't who can't overcome the obstacles that keep them from staying in marriages. You're go- it's going to oh. hurt families. These beliefs It's going to lead to sexual revolution. That's going to sexualize children. Right. It's like what right. we see. So it's like, what, uh, so what do you do about that? Right. So it's like, as an artist, it's like, well, I don't know how to fix this problem. I go to mm-hmm. church to fix this problem in my yeah. life, my family's life. And, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like we've got the escape velocity from it. I feel every once in a while it's tugging at us, but uh, I don't experience this sort of disenchanted world anymore. I, I, I have a, I see the world as agentic. It has agency. Things, uh, everything exists for a perf- uh, purpose. Things have drives. They have will, um, and it's all part of a bigger composition, a story, music, which I can be in harmony with or in disharmony with. So right. uh, well, I see it that way. But everybody else, man, like if you're, I talk to people all the time, and and what they believe, you can't. They can't embody what they believe. There's no way mm-hmm. because eventually you're going to experience a little bit of beauty. You're going to experience a little bit of love, and it's not going to fit that system. It doesn't fit yeah. it into this random system there's no way for you to experience that way thank god there's no way for you to experience that way because if if you could really embody this sort of nihilistic random chaotic universe that didn't care for you um you probably just you probably lose the ability to hang on to your own life if you could really embody it but luckily Mm -hmm. luckily we live in bodies like we're we're saved by our bodies in that sense so um but this is this is one of the things like when i sit down to make music i'm I'm like trying to point to something more vertical than I see in a lot of art. Now, a lot of art feels horizontal and flat. It feels like everything's about like men versus women and, you know, this way versus this other way, or really like, like the saddest thing is like, I feel like I'm watching so much art where it's like, no, we're trying to influence your voting. Like it's like democracy has taken over art. Oh my gosh. And it's become politicized. So I'm trying to escape from that. I'm not trying to tell political stories. I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to win people to my way. I'm trying to add value to them. And I, but in in a way I think is true. So the idea that they do have a place in this world that like those voices when they're sitting at home alone, that are, you know, they're, they're beating them down. Like that this conversation in their head is they're actually not alone. You're never alone in your thoughts. It's always a spiritual battle and and hopefully good art, beautiful art contributes the right. uh, I, I don't know the right angels into that internal conversation where someone hopefully can beat back this, this notion that, you know, they are random or they're an yeah. arbitrary thing that exists that no, like it was always meant for you to be here and in and good works were aligned for you before you were born. Yeah, I think that's such a huge part of what music does uh, for people, whether they know it or not, you know, like in the subconscious way that they they kind of sense meaning from the kind of inexplicable feeling they get from music. Um, one of the things we had we spoke about a year and a half ago. Um, Peugeot introduced us over email, and then we just Zoom called to kind of talk music. One of the things you mentioned when we were talking was the idea of 
the importance in storytelling of making things anthropomorphic. Yeah. Um, and it actually it actually influenced my last song, which is called Unfamiliar Faces. Um, and it was, originally the chorus was um, the shadows and shapes and unfamiliar places keep me up at night. And I thought like that doesn't seem quite right. And then I thought about what you said and I was like, it's unfamiliar faces. It's the unfamiliar faces that keep me up at night. Um, yeah. And so it just it, there's something about the human element of these stories of stories in general um like you know seeing a tree come to life or whatever like why wh what is it about the anthropomorphic idea that is so important in storytelling um and how that like kind of points to something more vertical than horizontal well because truth uh, truth despite what you've been told is not like correct facts truth is is proper relationship i mean this is this right. is what christians believe they see christ as the incarnation of truth um and so truth is relationship with a person truth begins we begin to experience that in our life uh, I think just, you know, hopefully you had a mother that cared for you enough to feed you and, and you know, parents to take care of you. The more people you have in your life to love you and experience that thing, the more experience you get with truth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you have a baby and they learn to look in your eyes and they they recognize you and they smile and you do something that's that they enjoy or something they need, they start to learn about truth in that moment. So um, the idea that like, oh, you got the facts right is truth. Um is is a is a terrible way to look at that. So when it comes to anthropomorphizing or adding agency to things, like what people don't realize, like you, if if you want to study medieval culture, medieval art, you'll you'll understand a world that could do this much better and how it was much more alive and everything mm -hmm. was alive. There wasn't it wasn't like dead things you could just you know the world was full of dead things and it was just people. Um, so I can't okay. So one of the ways to talk about this, like okay, even like you like you said in your song. Okay, your song. You're talking about like what's out of focus around yeah. you, right? Because this is an important thing. So there's you have you can only look at one little tiny thing at a time. Like even if you're reading, you're not looking mm -hmm. at the whole page. That's very difficult to do. Some people can do it, but you know, as you get to the edges of your vision, you really, really can't see what's going on over here, mm -hmm. and that's where you're likely to mistake something for something you didn't know, like something dangerous. Oh, I caught that out of the corner of my eye. It wasn't what yeah. I thought it was. There's something about that. And so like in a, in a movie like Queen of the Night, I'm dealing with this idea. It's in, in Lovecraft, you deal with this idea. It's the cosmic horror. Now, the mm -hmm. cosmic horror, you don't go have to go to the edges of space necessarily to encounter, but it's a good way to talk about that. But this is the idea that like, like, like what's lurking in the unknown spaces, the spaces you haven't explored could be incredibly dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. This is one of the things that keeps people from exploring. Um, yeah. new things and learning new ideas or being open-minded so but if you look at medieval stuff they used to uh they used to indicate this same pattern you're talking about in the margins of medieval documents so it's called marginalia mm -hmm. so in marginalia you'll find things like racing snails or a rabbit you know with a sword you mm -hmm. know riding some other strange creature yeah. and you know uh some guy playing a trumpet with his butt, like just the weirdest stuff in the world mm -hmm. you'll see on these margins. Yep. And you'd also see that on maps, old maps. You're like, okay, mm -hmm. like the unexplored areas, they they got surrounded by like sea monsters coming out of the water and stuff like that. It's because that's a, that's the fastest way for you to understand what's out there. Right. It's part of the way, like the things you don't know, anything you don't, you can't name the stuff out there. You haven't seen, you don't know. Yep. So, uh, 
like you have to learn to address that because you know this is people encounter these kind of moments at like 3 a.m in the morning it's like they've been dreaming their left brain is shut off however you want to talk about in scientific terms or like you shut down mm -hmm. that normal program the structuring things and the stuff you have been accounting for sometimes will come flooding back in in like a midnight panic attack or something like that yeah um, but it's the blur it's this unfamiliar things it's the mm -hmm. thing you haven't been attending to the thing you refuse to look at it's your 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 mind it still knows okay. it's there right and it's sometimes like you've got such good defenses against it it can only bring it up at night so this is uh i love exploring this world of horror but when you think about it you can take your own ability to look at things and focus and you can personify that into an entire world because that's actually how the world's laid out it's laid out in these fashions so when you stub your toe you're going to treat the thing you stubbed your toe on toe on at first like it did it to you yeah, like you'll right. do this or your computer, mm -hmm. like it's resisting you. Yeah, you yeah. That's really interesting. Okay. So you're like, there is a part of life that's smart to be like, well, that's not what's really happening. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like if you start treating things in your life, like they have agency, if you treat, I just, I had this conversation with my kids this morning about their rooms. I'm like, listen, if you treat your room, like it's alive and if you don't take good care of it, it will get sick. And then that sickness mm -hmm. will spread to you. If you just understand that idea and you believe it, You'll keep your room cleaner and you won't get sick from the stuff you're leaving in your room. You won't get mm. bugs and you won't get whatever. Yeah. So uh, like the treating the world with agency is some might see it as superstitious. It's a much shorter, much more humanized way of doing things. So mm. um, repersonifying the world around you allows you to be a, a spirit in a spirited space as opposed to the one thing with consciousness in a dead world. Um, right. You know, so I think that's uh, I think that's important. I think the Bible does this really well. I think when, um, you know, when you see books like in the book of Revelation, it presents all of these things that people generally try to reduce to analogy that but they're beyond analogy. They're like right. a, uh, they're more of a direct reference to something like metaphysics um, or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the personification of the spirit that's behind these movements. I think that's really important. And people. So the other important thing about doing this is that you will do this even if you don't know you do it. You will do it to people who are political opponents outside your religion, outside of your people mm -hmm. group, outside of your culture. You will otherize them and you will treat them as if they're one thing, one giant monster coming to get you. Right. Right. The zombie myth is so popular. It's like, mm. why is the zombie myth so popular? Because, you know, in America, they, you know, half the world thinks that America is too liberal and the other half thinks it's too conservative. Mm. They think these people are coming to get them and they want to force right. them to comply in action. Yeah. They want to they eat their yeah. brains and make them do their mm -hmm. thing and so that that myth is not going anywhere it's very solidly instantiated right now because yeah. that's how people think of it so uh but i mean that's where the storytelling potential is you can take anything you've ever seen anything out there in the world and you can try to describe it or you can embody it and, so, and i mean people will say the phrase like you know show don't tell and that for me that's mm -hmm. what show don't tell means it means put some real blood and real sap in the thing you're talking about give it some life right. And uh, present what's really going on in an anthropomorphized way. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, that I mean, that sticks sticks with me now, even now, um, since we had that conversation a while back. Um, I want to go back to the uh, the Queen of the Night and talk about the theme of technology in there. I uh, I saw the interview you did with uh, First First Things Foundations. Yeah. Um, and that guy's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you mentioned that there are some similarities, but unintentional to uh, Elon Musk mm -hmm. and your character. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like kind of what you're seeing now uh, in terms of the times we're living in now and technology and how 
you know, pros and cons and what to expect. You get some channel clips from talking about Elon Musk. Real yeah, exactly. Life. This is all for SEO. <laughs> That's it. Oh my gosh. Um, well, technology is, is it can be real easily understood. So there's this. Uh, let's, let's let's talk about the Bible. Let's do that. You know, and yeah. if you follow Jonathan Pichot, he talks about it this way. This might be slightly different, but you have you have this sort of like body mind relationship with Adam and Eve, where she sees this fruit and she's like, "Your body does this all the time. It presents you with things you might like to do, or maybe you know, there's all kinds of things you might like to do that you shouldn't do, but you know." That's what your body does. It presents you with these things. And so Eve presents, you know, Adam with this fruit because she sees it and sees it as ripe and is good to eat. And she presents it to him. Okay. So we see that's, that's like a pattern of sin, you know, is where Adam who knew the command decides to listen to the appetite Mm. or then the, you know, the narrative. So this is one of the things that we deal with. So I'm I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian, and there's something that's really part of the focus and part of the embodied practice of orthodoxy is you're always trying to let God's will be done on heaven as it is on earth. Oh, no, Mm -hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. I said it backwards. That was just Mm -hmm. total blasphemy. So but (laughs) earth is like your body and the heavens are like your spirit, Mm -hmm. your your unseen imagery components, your mind, uh, your intellect. So the idea is you want to know the right story in your head. This is why stories matter. Mm-hmm. And you want to impose that story cooperatively on your body, right? So right. you need to serve your body. You can't ignore your body, but you need mm-hmm. to integrate it into its story. You don't want to fall into its story for you. Like mm. you don't want to fall into your appetites and what mm. they're asking because you'll end up being an addict. Now, there is the other side of that. I don't talk about this much. There is the other side of this where the spirit um, does it has the authority, but it doesn't take care of the body. And a mm. really easy way to understand this is anorexia. Is that the person through bad perceptions, through a faulty perception mechanism, has a certain impression of their body. And somehow, like, I don't know how they do it, but they're, they manage to, like, just starve themselves, yeah. you know, yeah. trying to meet that goal. And it's so like that's kind of tyranny. Yeah, it's a tyranny. Yeah. Right. So yeah. top down tyranny. So um, technology, you see, the next thing happen in the Bible when it comes to sin is you see uh, Cain and Abel and that, you know, let's skip the other details of the story. But Cain is not happy with Abel. He's jealous of Abel. Whatever, whatever negative emotion you want to put on that. But God refers and says, hey, sin stalking you, right? It's stalking you mm-hmm. and uh, like a lion. And, and there's some really strong language in there. Um, mm-hmm. But Cain doesn't heed the warning. And he creates one of the first pieces of technology we ever see. Or this is why, like Jordan Peterson's always talking about, these are archetypal stories, meaning that they're yeah. so simple. There's not enough examples to really understand it yet. But if you get the pattern as it's presented... Or, for example, day and night are presented before there's stars and the sun in the Bible. It's like these two categories mm-hmm. that if you had never seen the world, you would, they're just two holders yeah. waiting to hold things. Mm-hmm. Once you start to put things in those categories, you can see it. So technology appears here. It appears uh, Cain looks to the earth. He sees a rock. He picks that rock. He raises it up. And it's a force multiplier. It takes his mm-hmm. own force where he might have just, you know, hurt his brother yeah. with his fist. Now the rock allows him to kill him. You know, it's a mm-hmm. force multiplier. So that's technology. Yeah. It's a fo- force multiplier of what things that people can already do. Now, if you, mm-hmm. if we, someone invented something that had nothing to do with one of the powers that humans already ex- had, it wouldn't occur to them to invent it in the first place, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't understand it at all. It would be an object right. that had no purpose because it doesn't relate to mm-hmm. our activity. Our bodies kind of tell us what to see is as right. useful and the needs of our bodies often tell us what's useful. So, um, you have this pattern in the Bible. So you think of the first pattern is Eve. Adam and Eve might have very well, if you understand the pattern of how technology or how these things function in the Bible, like when you see the knowledge of good and evil, 
that they were they weren't ready for that yet, right? And so mm. the serpent comes and introduces an idea before they're ready to integrate it. Mm. That's what it does. Like we don't know if we we never get to the point where we would have found out if they would have been permitted to eat from that tree if there would have mm-hmm. been a point where they were mature enough to do it. Right? right. They're they're pure and they're sinless, but they're not like perfectly developed minds. They don't mm-hmm. know everything they need to know yet. So there's obviously mm-hmm. there's some kind of infancy going on there. So you see that um okay, so one of the things the serpent does is it comes in and it tries to present you with something before you're ready for it. Uh the second thing that the the that sin does is that it encourages you to look to the earth to gain power to act, act mm. on these desires, right? So you have these two problems. So, and that's why uh, people have been clever to point out that all the technology in the Bible, like all the categories for technology, start to come through Cain's lineage. Mm. Um, and then, so that's one of the ways, like that's a orth- very orthodox view on technology is that uh, technology itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It's generally becomes introduced, it becomes some idea comes from some snake on some tree somewhere given to someone before the world's ready for it. And we all go mm. around crashing our cars and crashing our planes and yeah. dropping bombs on countries, you know, before we even understand mm-hmm. what they are, we, we create technologies and toxins and, uh, and we implement uh, medicines before they've been tested. And, you know, yeah. we learn about the harmful things later, the birth effects, whatever comes from mm-hmm. these you know, strange things we've invented. Um, so when new technology emerges, like that's what, that's the pattern. It happens that way almost every time. It's almost never something comes in and it's like, people know what to do with it right away. Uh, okay. So that's one of the roles of technology. That's, that's going to play that role in, in my story. So one of the things I can't give away without giving a spoiler is this, that, uh, that we don't think about things like my own glasses. These are technology, right? Cause the same force multiplier yeah. thing I just gave you is that they uh, have the ability to see. The ability, mm-hmm. my ability to see is too weak. So it takes what ability to see I have and it, yep. and it collects it. Right. Mm-hmm. So our character, if you watch our, would you watch our film? Everybody watching, you should watch my film now that you've watched this far into this thing. You can't, you kind of obligated. Like I, I'll be disappointed. Yeah. If you don't. Um, but uh, this young boy, he like, he uses glasses to see a world and he makes, he begins to make a discovery that other people uh, like maybe hadn't made. Uh, so he makes a discovery other people made. And he also looks at things he shouldn't look at. Like he looks at things he's not ready to integrate. Mm-hmm. So like the glasses are are an example of that technology. Also, there's there's flight, rocket flight, mm-hmm. electricity. These are all things that have been, uh, whether we meant to or not, have been exploited against mankind. Uh, the same people that are telling us to trust the science, to uh, that we need to listen to scientists to fix this problem with global warming, if you want to put it that mm-hmm. way, or, or climate change, are the same exact community that created the problem of climate change. Like it's right. all the stuff you guys made that mm-hmm. got us here. So and it, it but so it's it's you have to look at technology soberly in the modern because it gives us mm-hmm. so much power. We're so excited about it, but. We have to look at it soberly. And so I hopefully there's like a theme of sobriety towards technology Um, because we're on the verge. I mean, we probably already were on the verge, like with nuclear weapons of creating something that was like humanity just does not have the discipline to deal with at any point, no matter how much we get, it's going to be a problem. Um, we're creating stuff right now that is totally in that realm. Like when I hear about uh, Bill Gates, he wants to like blot out the sun to solve yeah. global warming or create mm-hmm. genetically altered mosquitoes to cure this problem. And it's like, oh my gosh, mm. like this, just look at history and look at this pattern I've been talking about. And like, you know, hang on to that idea for another 300 years and see if it's a good idea, maybe. Um, so we see that thing. So with Elon Musk, I think we're in, we're in the same kind of pattern. I think it's really interesting that... Uh, I, when I wrote this film. I, it felt like it gave me some insight to what was going on with him. Like I didn't mm-hmm. write it for that purpose. I just it. 
I just yeah. had an idea for a story. I had an idea where the story was ending. And as you put a story together, you push it around until things lock into place and you know mm-hmm. you got something. And so once it's locked into place, then I analyze it. I don't really analyze it before it's locked into place. So I felt like this was about like a technocratic pattern is that there's something secretive about the technocrats. They have some sort of um, implicit goal. Uh, that maybe if the wise people can see, but what they say explicitly isn't always their goals. Like it might not necessarily be Elon Musk's takeaway from Twitter sure. is like, yeah. oh, I'm just about free speech. I'm a good guy and I'm just about free speech. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it might be le- leveraging Dogecoin, uh, you know, mm-hmm. artificial propping up your own crypto, your own companies. Mm-hmm. You might you, like, I mean, this is obviously yeah. a valuable move for him. And so I'm not sitting back being like, like I'm having fun watching the show that's going on on Twitter. Like, don't get me wrong. It's been a great mm-hmm. reality rally television. Um, I don't think it's going to turn out good. I don't think what Elon mm. Musk is trying. He's because he's a technocrat. He wants to put chips in your brain. He wants to. Yeah. He wants to use technology no one's ever used before. He wants to pick up a rock and mm. uh, he wants to give you the fruit that you're forbidden uh, before you're ready for it. So, mm. um you know, I mean, this these are hard things to defend. These are assertions I'm making. I can defend them if we had longer, uh, more time. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm really concerned when I see what's going on there. I don't, uh, I think anybody who's like all high fives, Elon Musk is a hero is going to be sorely disappointed. And I think people mm-hmm. on the other end who are like, he's just a villain. It's like, actually, no, he's a lot more like you than you know. Uh, yeah, so, right. you know, like, I don't know. We'll We'll see what happens with that. But it's definitely... It definitely felt timely once I was done with the story and I started to watch this SpaceX, like Bezos, <laughs> Bezos in space uh, versus Musk going to space kind of battle. And NASA mm-hmm. just launched the Artemis one on the they finally got it off the ground in the night. Our movie, yeah. Peter, oh, uh, nice. which, is, which was yeah. really which yeah. was, uh, you know, kind of fun. <laughs> they have been trying to launch it for a while, so there's no way I could have coordinated yeah. that. Um yeah. Yeah, and also had other things that happen in the film. I, I want to get like kind of conspiratorial. I, I I put out a video about this because some people mm-hmm. brought these things to my attention. Is that um, we had and because we released it episodically before Elon Musk bought Twitter, um, an episode came out where our main character Oliver Graves had just secured the largest loan in the history of the world, largest personal loan for his. Was big it forty four billion dollars? Yeah, right. Exactly. I wish. Um, <laughs> that's what I was going to put, but then I changed. Yeah. No. Um, but you know, it was just like a few months later than that, Elon Musk did the same thing. Like he literally took out the largest personal loan. In the- and then there were so many weird things that lined up in the story. And I hadn't really paid much attention to him before that. I thought he was, he might've been like our closest thing to Tony Stark. Yeah. You know, yeah. And from mm-hmm. Iron Man before I started paying attention, but now I'm paying attention. I'm like, I don't know about that. I think it's going to go bad. I think, yeah. it, I hope it doesn't, but I think, yeah. I mean, it's never gone good. What he's trying to do. It's never gone good. Just yeah, I I feel like the 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 idea of technology is really um, and it works out in fractals where I'm like I've been trying to think about how I am looking at Elon Musk as well and like my thoughts on it and mm-hmm. I feel like it's an abundance of caution is definitely like the right move at least for me in perceiving this um, in yeah. in the same way that like I wouldn't just take any technology. Uh, into myself or you know into my house or just you know whatever like get with a new hip thing just because like I've I've always kind of been like well let me see how this plays out and then I'll make a decision mm-hmm. um, and I, I you know obviously with Elon Musk and what he's doing with Twitter and how big social media is in terms of like the global conversation it even more so the need for caution um, around that I feel like is needed um, but yeah I, I definitely hear 
definitely hear the warnings uh, and you know pros and cons of both sides. It's just it's really fascinating to watch. Like if anything, it's just it's just entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. In that sense, it's entertaining, and I and I get and I get the fascination with it. Um, at the same time, like part of my agentic view of the world is that I don't uh, I don't just do horizontal reads. I think this is one of the yeah. reads people want, get wrong, or this is where people get into conspiracy theories because everything has to end in a cabal of actual people mm. or making these plans, and so. Yeah, yeah. But it's very hard to get conspiratorial about certain things if you want to do it on a human level, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from things like the moon landing or to COVID. It's because there's so many people involved that need to be kept quiet. It's like almost impossible yeah. if you think about it as something coordinated from the human level. Mm-hmm. But and when you start to look at the fact, you're like, yeah, like, well, well, maybe there's something meaningful happening here. Maybe there's some kind of read I can take away from this because for the first time ever, the entire world like kind of did the same thing at the same exact time. Yeah. That's got to, if you have any kind of sense that there's a big story going on in the world Mm -hmm. and it was made for a purpose and it's going to have a beginning, middle and end, you're like, that's, that's a freaking significant event. Like everyone hid part of their identity. Mm -hmm. Like they, they, you know, masked up, it's veiled Mm -hmm. up for, so it's like, okay, that's. And so for me, like when people talk to me about conspiratorial stuff, it's like, listen, if you want to get conspiratorial, it's part of a bigger spiritual story. You can get into like mm-hmm. a Game of Thrones battle of the small G mm-hmm. gods versus the yeah. big G god kind yeah. of idea. Like that makes a lot more sense that these people that because if you just look at what like like evil does in your own body, how it tries to exploit your own desires or your own natural inclina- inclinations against mm-hmm. you. Like that's the that's what an evil motivation is. It takes your own yeah. skill and power and strength and it tries to exploit that to the death of others and yourself, even if it's just an emotional, spiritual death, mm-hmm. uh, it tries to stop children from coming into the world. Like this is part of, uh, this is part of what it does. If you look at it that way and you're like, Oh, I see that same pattern I see internally happening on a global scale. Now there might be people making mm-hmm. their plans, but I think they're just, they're being exploited yeah. just like you get exploited to eat yeah. too many cupcakes or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, that happens yep. in your life or keep smoking. Yep. So, yep. um, I think that that really frees people from that level of, uh, you know, spirit of world kind of frees you from that level of trying to chase down like where you're like Alex Jones, where you see a pattern and you're like, there's something chameleon about mm-hmm. these people. There's something mm-hmm. reptilian. There's mm-hmm. something like they're shape-shifting about them. So what does that mean? Oh, there must be shape-shifters yeah. you know, over yeah. here. And then you get to yeah. this cyclical reasoning, like where it's like, well, how do you know there's shape-shifters like aliens uh, hiding mm-hmm. in human suits? It's like, well, because if there were, they would do all these things. Right. And it's like, oh, okay, I see, I see yeah, what yeah. you're doing. Like, if you took this on a different level, you might be able to understand that there's mm-hmm. same thing that motivates your body for yeah. good people is motivating a very large body for good for people. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, Andrew Clavin from the Daily Wire talks about this. Uh, he's he says that um he doesn't really believe in the conspiracy theories, but he thinks that there's like a conspiracy of ideas. And that like they might not be consciously coordinating like at a global scale with these things, but they are participating in something that seems to have a very similar pattern. And I, I feel like that that maps very well onto, you know, Peugeot's idea of principalities um, or yeah. even Jung's like collective unconscious, that there's something that's going on that's above that people in their in their own particular worldviews are acting as the body of something higher. Yeah. So the idea, the, the separation here is that, um, you know, so good has the power to act in the world without, um, you know, without having to trick us is like one of yeah. the ways to say it. So the idea that, um, you know, like the the old gods, like the the gods that people used to build temples for, and they would have to feed and clothe and stand upright in their little temples, the statues, you know, they have to care for them. 
it, that's the difference is that in, in an evil world, it's like it can't do anything without your mm. without you acting as its body. Um, and so it has to it has to like, I don't know, Tyrion Lannister style, like Game of Thrones. He was like the expert in the first couple seasons of always like framing up things so people would want to do what he wanted to. He figured he would find the framework to survive as this little person in this mm. dangerous world to get people on board with his thing. And so that's part of the pattern, I think. Um, you know, when you look look at the world and you're trying to read these situations, you have to understand that like things are being presented to you all the time. You're not alone in your thoughts, and every time you're thinking, you're having a spiritual battle. And mm. if you're wise to it, this can help you out a ton. This can help you out a ton, especially if you're having depressed thoughts or you're like, you know, you you get done with a conversation with a bunch of people and you're just tearing yourself up and you're having these internal conversations, or you're a mom at home and like you're a mom at home, like you know, sometimes like these. If you listen to people's conversations, they have the same problem. It's like one day they're like, I can't cut it as a mom. I'm not good enough to be a mom. This is terrible. I failed in this way. The next day they're judging another mom, right? They're mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, she's so dumb. I would never do that. If I was her, I would do these mm -hmm. things. And, you know, like that's not just a mom problem. That's a guy problem. It's a girl yeah. problem. I just said that one because this is something, of, mm -hmm. I think, a story that would be familiar to people if they paid attention. Mm -hmm. It's like. You're getting played like you don't realize what's going on in your mind. You're getting played in both directions, mm, right? Yeah. You're getting played in both. These are not these thoughts are not native to you. Mm. They shouldn't be native to you. Hopefully you haven't gotten to a pattern where these are native to you and you're generating mm. these on your own. Um, but you're being presented constantly like you're 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 going in two directions at the same time. You're better than like people think they're better than everyone else. And they think they're worse than everyone else. Like yeah. they think they're more deserving than everyone else. And they mm -hmm. think they're totally undeserving and they're just totally torn in two directions. And they have nothing to unite them under some uh, narrative narrative. Right. And, and this is, you know, this is where the religious thought helps because the religious thoughts inevitable, um, you know, but original a re religious thought can, anchor you to a higher narrative that brings these facts into their proper place. And so you have a structure in which to interpret good from evil. And uh, without that, you end up with weird religion. So, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, let's 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 be scientific and atheistic and let's make fun of all the other previous versions of this that have tried to to reconcile these irrational elements that exist within a person's psyche. Mm -hmm. And they like, OK, yeah, yeah, let's make fun of all that. Now, let's go back and read the same type of story into into scientific data we've pulled. So what happens is you end up with evolution having this godlike agency. It has a will. It has a desire. It's unavoidable. You can't talk about it doing anything mm -hmm. without it. So um, they're still, they realize that there's got to be something to bridge the gap between this static physical universe and all the patterns and information we see that have emerged from that. There's got to be something to bridge the gap. And so they can't help it. They just do it in the most ridiculous way because now at the end of the day, you don't have to answer to God in some sort of judgment or some sort of standard at the end of the right. day. Like, like there, the, this story is so unhelpful because now it's just like, well, things are what they are, you know, a hundred years from yeah. now, no one's going to care, you know, yeah. just do whatever you can get away with and get you what you want is it's kind of like should be your takeaway from that story. Mm -hmm. If it's not your takeaway from that story, it means you're just, you're borrowing from someone else's religion. Yeah. So um, I think these things, these things are given to me, but I think in the modern world, they're just not given to a lot of people, like in the sense that they, they, they see it that way. They think they're being totally rational when they've just assigned agency to a, to, to natural selection. Like they give it a godlike power and desire to shape the world. Right. And I think this is uh it's a really bad idea. So, but I mean, again, that the whole spiritual battle in your head, I think I, I can't say this. I say this to anyone and I don't care about looking stupid 
because they will get smarter. I swear you'll get smarter if you listen to me. You'll be wiser. It, and it, it, these are not my ideas. This, I'm not yeah, the first right. person. Like I wouldn't say it if I if if a hundred thousand other mm-hmm. great people did not have these ideas before me and taught it to me. So, but you have to like think about what you're thinking in your head and like and really get down to the ideas. Like you're you're having a spiritual. There's a cosmic battle happening there. There's there's flames and lightning bolts kicking back and forth in your mind and mm-hmm. like quite literally on a, on a micronic level. But yeah. um, you know that this is what's happening. You're having a battle. And if you, you're, if you don't realize it and you think every thought that comes into your head is your own, you're just not going to be able to see anything on a vertical level. You're going to be stuck in this horizontal level of analysis forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's super fascinating. Um, I think of like how, you know, the, the, idea of the passions is always kind of like uh described as like demons or things you're fighting against i mean trying to order and so there's there's that whole like you know saint paul says like i do i do what i don't want to do i like i know what i should do and i and i don't do it um yeah where it's like you you have opposing forces even within you that you you don't have to get conspiratorial and be like there's something outside controlling me it's like it's all within you and you like that's the best place to start to kind of order all of that up and then you start to see the world in a more yeah in a clear way well you're like a microcosm like a microcosm yeah. means like you're you're like in a microcosmos like mm-hmm. the way the the world outside of you the on this largest level functions just like you do on the smallest yep. level. Like, so you have a spiritual battle happening within you. You have a battle between the heavens and the earth. And mm. there's a, you, there's a way to have a marriage between those things that's proper. Mm-hmm. And there's a way to like, to let one rule the other that's improper right. in the wrong way. So, um, but when you start to, you know, know thyself and you can, you can like, but I, what I've been talking about is you can extrapolate these things outwards. You can look at, patterns that are happening in the world and it doesn't just have to be this horizontal cause and effect pattern there can Mm -hmm. be other you realize the same thing that you're having this sort of uh battle of ideas that's a spiritual battle within you is happening there i mean but there's no way to look at the universe where things don't exist fractally like from the you know once once we get into telescopes and microscopes like this symbolism isn't part of phenomenological symbolism necessarily meaning that these are not things you can see with the naked eye but when Mm -hmm. we build a telescope and we build a microscope, we see that, oh, look, we have a little galaxy at the atomic level, like these little, yeah. this one sun and mm-hmm. these little planets absorbing, uh, revolving mm-hmm. around it. We go up to the galaxy and it's like, oh, you get the same pattern. And you go to mm-hmm. Disney World and you have the same pattern. People are revolving yeah. around this castle and they're going to the mm-hmm. next thing after another and they're moving in mm-hmm. a circle. And it's like, oh, this is the, this is a pattern that exists everywhere. And, and yeah. uh, you, you live in, you live in a, you have a life, you have a beginning, middle and end of your life. You have an infancy and you have an end of your life. You, you go through that same pattern every day. It's like, you have a fractal, mm-hmm. you rehearse your death your, mm-hmm. your, every day. It's the same reason why you start to notice the beginnings of things look a lot like the ends of things, like the, the liminal spaces. Like, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you come into this world, like in a diaper, not being able to take care of yourself and a lot, you live yeah. long enough, you're going to be in a diaper not being able to take yeah. care of yourself. You're like, is this an all arbitrary pattern? Like, I mean, right. if you don't, if you can't hold the presuppositions that this is all here to show us something, it's like, mm-hmm. so you know better. So when your death comes, you know what it's like to go to sleep and have mm-hmm. a dream. You know what this is like. So these things are all that nobody is unprepared um, for the things they haven't seen yet. They've all been presented. Right. Um, all these things, literally, it just I'll get, I'll throw out a few things for us to think about, like, or you to think about, like, as you go through your days, like you ever put your foot, like you ever run in the bathtub when you're a kid, and your mom finally let you run a bath or something like that. And you test the water and it's cold. And then you test it again in a minute. You think it's cold. So you left, you didn't pull your foot out fast enough. You realize it was super hot. Mm. But when you first touched it, it felt cold, 
right? There are all kinds of yeah. things like this. And I deal with this in the film. It's the same reason you deal with the cosmic horror. It's like, you're not sure if you're in heaven and hell. Like Peugeot talks about this with swearing mm-hmm. is why people will take the highest word and combine it with the lowest words. Right. It's like, they can't, it's like when you're becoming too much of an edge in the space, like they start to look the same. Yeah. Uh, so what does it mean to have our reality framed in this way? It's, I mean, dude, in music, like, have you ever thought about me- how, like, a, like the difference between a note and rhythm that they're actually the same thing, mm-hmm. just on a different tempo? Yep. You know, because when you slow down, you slow down Mm -hmm. pitch slow enough, it eventually becomes below the audible level and it transitions to what we would call a rhythm and things we would accept as a rhythm. But Mm -hmm. then our our ability to accept something as a rhythm stops at the bottom of our own heart rate. So like around 33 Mm -hmm. beats a minute is where people start uh, being able to associate. They stop being able to associate one rhythm as the next one. And that's the same point where if your heart rate was that low, you're going to be dead. Mm -hmm. And so all these things are like embodied in us and we're just kind of like going along. Like we're so distracted by everything. We're not realizing like, no, like listen, the same, Mm -hmm. there's a a cyclical story being told here. And it's only revelation that breaks the cycle. It's that the seed has to fall from the tree, Mm -hmm. you know, to, uh, to start that new cycle. Uh, And, you know, as long as until science changes, it is still the same way with men and women and children. It's like, you know, there's, there, there, there are all these stories in literature about, uh, you know, like, why does Sleeping Beauty fall asleep? Why does Snow White fall asleep? And why does a man have to wake her up? It's like, is this is kind of a thing. This happens yeah. in the Bible. There's a the parable about the woman who t- who's bleeding for 12 years, who touches the hem of Christ's mm-hmm. garment, right? Touches the dirty fringe of the garment and the problem, her, her problem with blood dries up. Mm-hmm. And but mm-hmm. meanwhile, Jesus is on his way to heal a 12 year old girl who's fallen asleep. Mm-hmm. And so there's like all these things. It's like people, I don't know. It's, it's, it, I feel I feel sorry when people have been robbed of this way of looking at the world, like, because yeah. uh, everything speaks to you and everything becomes like, like what, what Holy scripture is to me in a way, like Holy scripture, like took out the ability for me to turn the world into that thing too, where it's like everywhere you look, it's like, Oh my gosh, like you're seeing it all come together and, and you're having a positive boost of energy because you know, this, you're a musician. Like when you come up, you're looking for an idea and you find that idea, you feel an excitement. And sometimes you might even go and show someone else or you send something off to someone at the end of the day because you got to tell someone about Mm -hmm. it. And when you solve these problems and and when things click, you get energy. And I understand why people are like dying inside and like they're trying to find some kind of like, like, I don't know, licentious way to solve these problems or some kind of botrous way to solve these problems because they're dying. And they're not getting the life from seeing these connections in the depth of everything. And they're not growing Mm -hmm. in wonder and awe. That's dead from their childhood. and now. Here they are. And so now what do we do about it? Like people have been talking about the meaning crisis forever. So as an artist, Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, like, you know, this is my chance to go into battle here for something like, uh, hopefully we can create some culture. It's not just this horizontal storytelling. It's not just men versus women. It's not just one political way versus another. And it's not just people having people problems. There's a cosmic story. There's a symphony to the world. And we're going to, we're going to show you an aspect of that in, in this, Mm -hmm. like, in this story. So that's what we get to do. And, uh, Hopefully we're not just doing it for a buck. Hopefully we we make enough <laughs> yeah. money. Like, you know what I mean? I was making like mm-hmm. Christmas merch today because I got to make money. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, I'll tell people like, I need mm-hmm. to make money. But yeah. also I need to, I need to do this other thing because this mm-hmm. is, the world will fall apart without this. If if yeah. we keep heading on this, this we keep telling stories as propaganda and we keep just re- pop music resorts to whatever gets your attention the fastest. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's our doom for our culture. The culture's over. If yeah. someone to break the cycle, so I mean, for sure, get to Creighton. Yeah. What are you doing? 
What are you doing talking to <laughs> yep. making music? I, for real? That's actually a really <laughs> good place to end this. I, I love that notion that the artist has that role to to reawaken that meaning. Um Neil, man, thanks so much for uh, getting on this call. And uh, yeah, man, I love your podcast, everybody. Yeah, thank if you. you. Tune in from uh, from me and watch this. You should definitely uh, drop them. Uh, basically related podcast to follow too. Yeah, yeah, drive. appreciate yeah. that. Uh, tell people where they can find you uh, and your work. Okay, so uh, dirtpoorrobbins.com. I just kind of redesigned the site so it actually is semi useful. Um, awesome. So dirt poor robins, robins like the bird with one b, not like the. Uh, English last name. Uh, you can find me there. You can find us on YouTube uh, at at Dirt Poor Robbins, pretty much at Dirt Poor Robbins or Dirt Poor Robbins anywhere on any of the normal social media platforms. I really want, I would love to have you watch my movie. Uh, as always, like with this video you're watching right now or any video you're watching, if you want to support the people and you're not supporting financially, a like and a comment really helps the algorithm. So all that mm -hmm. stuff helps. Um, you know, so we're we're pretty much everywhere and uh, we're going to keep making more music. I have a new record coming out in the spring and I'm going to keep promoting this film in the meanwhile. Uh, hopefully you can check it out and uh, and I'll see you around. Leave me a comment. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Good talk. Good talk. Good talk.